and your microphone are off, and we'll begin in just a moment. Well, you know, Karen was uh, praying about how God had preserved me. She said, you know, preserved my mind, but uh, I think that's still open for debate. I don't know. Uh, I'm still kind of curious about that. All right. I'd like to give a hearty welcome to everybody who's joining us. This is just part of our service here at City Temple. If you'd like to join us for the whole service via Zoom, just drop us an email, uh, or you can come and join us in person here at City Temple, uh, right here in the city of London. If you have your Bible with you, let's turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 18 through 25. Before I read, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for the Bible. Thank you that it is your word to us, that it is trustworthy and true. And I pray, Lord God, that you'd speak to us in power today by the power of your Holy Spirit and let your Holy Spirit rest on me to proclaim your word to your people and to everyone who hears and through the glory, to the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, yesterday was such an exciting day, wasn't it? You know, thousands of people around the world were watching to see the great light appear in the sky. And there were children everywhere waiting with eager anticipation to see something streak across the sky. Now you probably imagine that I'm talking about Santa Claus or perhaps even the star of Bethlehem. But no, I'm talking about the James Webb Space Telescope. Isn't that exciting? It was sent up yesterday. Uh, it's uh, the beginning of, a, I think it's 10 billion pounds to enable scientists to see the universe. Up until now, the Hubble Telescope has been the most powerful telescope to see. And the thing is, with, with the properties of light, the further you can see, the further back in time you're going. And so with the James Webb Telescope, there are people that are hoping to see all the way back in time, maybe 
even to the point of creation. And I can just imagine, uh, I mean, this is really exciting, but I can just imagine, you know, the scientists, they get there, they look back, they peer all the way back, just like at the point of creation, and all of a sudden they see Jesus waving at them, giving a big smile. Hey, guys. You know, it's, it's really exciting. It's amazing to think about the vastness of this universe that God has created, and, uh, and to think that God has given us the ability increasingly to see further and further away from our planet. And by the way, had God not placed our planet exactly where it did, in exactly this kind of uh, galaxy that we happen to be in, in the Milky Way, we wouldn't be able to see anything. And so it's really extraordinary to see what God has done. And when you think about the glories of creation, and you think about a virgin birth, actually having a little baby born of a virgin, that's pretty small in the miracle front. You know, a lot of times we think, wow, you know, that's such a massive miracle, but actually compared with, you know, a God who can create this universe certainly could cause a woman to have a child without ever having sex, uh, particularly with her husband. And that's exactly what happened. And we've been celebrating the glories of Jesus and the glories of his birth all around the world. And yesterday was a, a wonderful day where families were gathering together. But you know, many people are struggling at this time too. You know, because so many people, they, they, they love to go to church, they love to sing the carols, they love to see the, the pomp and circumstance of, of many of the uh, Anglican services. That's why we don't have a Christmas Day service here, because we can't compare to St. Paul's uh, on, the, on the pomp and circumstance front. So we just let people do that. But so many people who do this, they don't believe in God, they don't believe in Jesus, they struggle as if perhaps the virgin birth and the coming of Jesus was more of a myth rather than a mystery. They wrestle with wondering, is this a fiction or is it truly fact? But we as Christians know the Christmas story is true. We believe it. We know it's no baseless myth, but we know that it is grounded in the reality of our history. And we see that. And it's so important for us because the coming of Jesus was declared as God with us. Jesus' name was Emmanuel. God is with us. And we believe this is true, and we've looked these last several weeks to see evidence around us. And we saw evidence in the fact that there's love in the world. We saw evidence in the fact that there's grace in the world. We saw evidence in the fact that there's peace and a longing for peace and a hunger for peace in the world. But obviously the greatest evidence of all that Jesus, that God is with us, is Jesus himself this one who was born of a virgin 2,000 years ago 
who was fully human, but fully God, who came on this world to live our life so that he could save us from our sins and give us the hope and promise of life eternally, as well as life in this world. But how can we know this is true? How do we know that in all of this, God really is with us? How do we see this in the life of Jesus? I think one thing here is that Jesus' birth and early life was the fulfillment of many prophecies given hundreds of years before he came. It was the fulfillment of many prophecies. Now, I'm going to warn everybody here. I'm going to start quoting a lot of scriptures. Uh, Don't even try to take them all down. You won't be able to do it. So if you want to know all the scriptures that I reference, drop me an email and I'll send you my notes so that you can have a list of all the scriptures. Now I want to give you just a few of the prophecies about Jesus' life that were fulfilled before Jesus was 12 years old. These were all came to pass before he was 12 years old. It was prophesied that his lineage would include Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Jesse, and David. Those are all different prophecies. Genesis 22, 18. Genesis 49, 8 to 12. Numbers 24, 17. Isaiah 11, 1. Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. 2 Samuel 7, 12 and 13. Second, it was prophesied that he would be born in Bethlehem. That's Micah 5.2. Now, I don't know about you. I was born in St. Louis, but as I recall, I had nothing whatsoever to do with the place in which I was born. That was up to a lot of factors beyond my control. And they were even up to a lot of factors beyond Mary's control in the case of Jesus. Number three, it was prophesied that he would be born and he would live his life before the destruction of the temple, which happened in A.D. 70. And that was prophesied by Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 and 26. It was prophesied that he'd be born of a virgin or a very young girl, Isaiah 7, 14. It was prophesied that he would be worshipped by shepherds and wise men, and that the wise men or the kings would bring him gifts. That's Psalm 72, 9 to 11. It was prophesied that he would be taken to Egypt as a child, which is Hosea 11, verse 1. It was prophesied that around the time of his birth, many children would be killed, Jeremiah 31, 15. It was prophesied that he would be raised in Nazareth and called a Nazarene. It's reported in Matthew chapter 2. Now that's over a dozen different prophecies about Jesus Christ that were made hundreds of years before he was born and understood to have referred to the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ, 
who was going to come. Now that's way too many prophecies to be a coincidence. It cannot be a coincidence. In fact, if you happen to play the lottery, maybe you play Euro Millions, and you want to know the, the, the odds of picking those, what, eight numbers or so that you have to pick with Euro Millions, the odds of you winning Euro Millions is one in 139 million. So that means that the odds of Jesus just accidentally fulfilling all of these prophecies in a way that's completely beyond his control is at least as great. It's at least as great. Now, neither Jesus nor any of his followers could have arranged him to fulfill these prophecies or could have faked the fulfillment of these prophecies. Now, remember, the story of Jesus and the story of his life was written down during the lifetime of those who lived with him and witnessed his life. People who reported these things knew Mary, his mother. They knew his other brothers and sisters. They knew the circumstances of his life. And so you better believe if somebody was trying to make things up, they would have reported it. Now, if you want to contrast that, say, with the teachings of Buddha, you know, we can't even be certain when Buddha was born within 100 or 200 years. We just don't know. They give a 200-year time span for the possible birth of Buddha. And by the way, his teachings weren't written, written down till a couple hundred years after he lived. But yet all of this happened within just a few years of the life of Jesus. So there's evidence to say that Jesus really is God with us because his life, as his infancy and childhood, fulfilled at least a dozen different prophecies about who he would be. And of course, the second thing we notice here is Jesus really was with us. He was here as one of us. He shared our life. He was born in human frailty. Think about all these things. He was born in a working class family. Makes me feel good. Working class family. He was born in shame. You know, you don't often think about this, but how would you feel in a time where it was utterly shameful for a woman to get pregnant outside of marriage? And remember, Mary was pregnant outside of wedlock. She was betrothed, which is a little bit more solid than being engaged, but it's not quite wed, so they weren't sexually active. And here she is, she turns up pregnant. And you can kind of imagine, you know, as Jesus is growing up, maybe some of the women in the town saying, you know, he doesn't look at all like Joseph. What's going on here? Without sin, he grew up with this kind of air of shame around his life. He had a questionable parentage. He was an immigrant who fled persecution. He was raised by imperfect human parents. Now, this is the 
one that really gets me. How many of us, we all get messed up a little bit about it by our parents, right? So Jesus is like the first guy and the only guy in history not to get messed up by his parents. But not only this, he was always perfect. He never sinned. Can you imagine trying to parent that kind of child? You can see a little glimpse of this when uh, at 12 years old, you know, they were heading back uh, to Nazareth from being in Jerusalem, and they forgot, uh, they, they missed Jesus. They thought he was somebody, was somebody else. And they go back, you know, and they find him. Well, didn't you know, Mom? Dad, I'm supposed to be about my father's business. I mean, just imagine the struggle of that. He had to learn and grow like everyone else does. You know, just because he was fully God doesn't mean that he was born with all the knowledge of the universe. He had to live fully like a human being. So he had to learn and grow like the rest of us. The text there in Luke is clear about that too. He was raised in, a, in an insignificant backwater little town called Nazareth. Now it wasn't like he was born into the royal family in Rome to come and, you know, uh, come in and be the, the king and all. He was born to live his life in a small town. He had to work. He probably worked in the family business. He probably learned from Joseph, his stepdad, how to be a carpenter. He experienced the sadness of the loss of a loved one. At some point in time, early in his life, Joseph died. And he would have experienced that kind of loss. He suffered and he fought temptation. He experienced weakness and the weakness of the human condition. All this means that when Jesus came as fully God, in the fulfillment of all this prophecy, he came also as fully a human being, so he has experienced the fullness of the life that we live and that we experience as human beings. He understands who we are. He understands what we're going through. He understands when you're sad. He understands when you struggle with temptation. He understands when you're persecuted. He understands when you suffer. He understands when you feel abandoned by everybody around you. He understands when you feel like you don't have a home or a place to lay your head. He understands all of this. He lived all of this, so he really could be with us as God. And it's an amazing thing. There's a brilliant song by a group called Waterdeep. I wish I could remember the name of the song. But uh, it's about uh, someone looking at Jesus lying in the manger and said, you know, I know that you're God, but you look pretty human to me. You know, I thought you might look like victory, but you look like weakness. That's a, a beautiful song. But it really tells us a lot about what happened when Jesus was born. He was born as one of us, even though he was fully God. 
and we know that he is God with us because it's not like he was just a great teacher with us. It's not like he was just a great prophet with us. It's not like he was just a great miracle worker with us. He had to be God with us. He had to be God with us. He was God with us because the prophecies proclaimed it. You can look at Isaiah 9, 6, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's a prophecy about Jesus. He, we, we know he was God because the disciples acknowledged it. You see the disciples worshiping him in Matthew 28, 9 and John 20, 29. His disciple, the one who is really close to him, John, the apostle, he states it directly in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only God, full of grace and truth. But that's all well and good. You know, you can have a prophecy about it, and you can have your followers declare it. But that doesn't mean Jesus himself thought he was God, does it? Well, he certainly did. Jesus stated that he was omnipresent. He stated it in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, and in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. He said that he uniquely knows God, has that intimate connection with God. That's in Luke chapter 10, verses 22. He claimed to have, John, he claimed to have God's authority. That's John 17, 2. He claimed God's preexistence to have existed at the creation of the world and before Abraham. That's John 8, 58 and John 17, 3 to 5. He said that he was completely one with God in John 10, verse 30. He asked people to trust him as they trusted God in John 14, verse 1. He claimed the power to answer prayers that's John 14, verses 13 and 14. And Jesus called himself God. John 8, 24 and 8, 58. So Jesus certainly claimed to be God. And that's no idle claim. By the way, I don't know about you, but if somebody is claiming to be God, I don't think of him as a good teacher. Either it's true or they're pretty crazy. I mean, I tell you folks, if I come up next Sunday and I said, I've discovered that I'm actually God and you should worship me, I hope all of you will run as fast as you can. Because me saying it doesn't make it so. But not only did the prophecies predict it and the disciples worship him, but Jesus claimed it and the resurrection and the ascension demonstrates it. Now it's one thing to claim to be God, 
but it's quite another to say, hey guys, by the way, I'm going to die on a cross, and on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. But that's exactly what Jesus did. At many points throughout his life and his ministry, he said, I'm going to die, and on the third day, I'm going to rise, and that's exactly what he did. And one of the most clearly confirmed events of ancient history, Jesus Christ rose from the dead just as he predicted. And the fact that we continue to have faith in that resurrected and ascended Lord Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords, fully God, fully human, further confirms this reality. I love what the historian Philip Schaff said about Jesus. Here's a quote. How, in the name of logic, common sense, and experience, could an imposter, that is, a deceitful, selfish, depraved man, have invented and consistently maintained from beginning to end the purest and noblest character known in history, with the most perfect air of truth and reality? How could he have conceived and successfully carried out a plan of unparalleled beneficence, moral magnitude, and sublimity, and sacrificed his own life for it in the face of the strongest prejudices of his people and his age? Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And this is the reality that we believe. This is the reality that we celebrate. This is the reality that we affirm every year as we come together, every year as we light these candles, every year as we sing these carols, every year as we celebrate the beauty of the Christmas time, every year as we exchange gifts, every year as we set up trees. This is the reality. Jesus Christ is God with us. God really is with us in Jesus Christ. God with us means God really understands us, especially in our challenges and difficulties. God with us gives meaning and value to our lives, even amid struggles and suffering. Even in a time of COVID, the fact that God is with us, walking with us through this time, gives meaning and value to our lives. God with us gives us a continual hope, a continual hope of resurrection and the fullness of life, especially when we feel on the verge of collapse and death. In Jesus Christ, God is with us. Jesus Christ himself is the greatest evidence and the fullest embodiment that God is really with us. But knowing this reality requires a response. You can't sit on the fence. You cannot say with integrity, as many people say, well, Jesus was a good teacher, and I'll try to follow him. 
You cannot say with integrity, oh, well, Jesus was just one of many ways to God. You cannot say with integrity, well, I'll follow Jesus when I feel like it. I'll follow Jesus when it's convenient for me. The only thing we can do when faced with this reality that Jesus Christ is God with us is surrender our lives to Jesus and fall down before him and worship him. That is the call for you this Christmas. Surrender your life to Jesus as God with us and worship him. Gracious God, we love you and we thank you. Thank you that you are with us in Jesus Christ. God who has made flesh and who dwelt among us. Thank you that you are with us in love, in grace, in peace. Let us remember, let us continually surrender our lives. Let us continually worship you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Especially in this Christmas season. We love you and we praise you. And we thank you for all you're doing in our lives. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's worship the Lord.